once you reappear. I'll click it. Reappear. There we go. Welcome, everybody, to Growing with Fishes 337. Sorry for the brief hiatus there. Um, just been traveling and doing lots of different stuff, and Thursdays have, or uh, Fridays have not been a very good day. So, um, yeah, kind of getting back settled again. So, we'll, uh, um, yeah, be a little more regular now. So, might also do some recorded episodes here uh, in the future as well, just to try and make sure we're on schedule a little more often. Um, we have Matt uh, Powers joining us again. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you face to face and to be able to hang out. Heck yeah. Um, so uh, Matt Powers is a really wonderful new microscope book. Uh, I had a chance to review it. Um, I thought it'd be fun to have him on. He was uh, kind enough to send me an early copy. And uh, I think you guys are really going to like it. You can still get your early copy over on Kickstarter. Um, you can, we'll put a link to that. already checked that out please do um, certainly uh, the best microscope reference book I've seen so far when it comes to soil soil analysis and anything like that in terms of especially if you're a newer grower and you haven't had a chance to really um, sink your teeth into it and you, you got you know really interested after reading someone like Jeff Lowenfeld's books or some of the other people out there that are really good kind of entry-level uh, stuff his is kind of a great way to kind of take that knowledge and and then apply it with a bunch of reference photos and, and kind of really help you understand yourself a, a lot better. So thanks a lot for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate that. This, I mean, you've been also been really helpful and instrumental in, in mapping a lot of this out and modeling with your database, the kind of rigor that's needed and the kind of community transparency that's needed to really map out the next levels of 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 soil science of farming aquaponics all of it and so i i'm, I'm just trying to contribute uh with with the soil side with the microscopy now um this book regenerative soil was it and still is today this is a book that changed my life and it became first in a trilogy and regenerative soil microscopy is the book that i'm releasing now and yeah, yeah, I, I, it feeds into a community way of a community lab system, a database. Um, it's a whole picture system. So I'm really excited about it. And you guys can find his, uh, his first book on his website, thepermaculturestudent.com. It's Regenerative Soil, The Science and Solutions. Um, tons of great pictures and diagrams and uh you know how to with uh, really good uh one two three four five instructions um and uh you know again great visuals to help you actually understand what's going on a lot better uh lots of good recipes for different things that you're going to use in your organic uh or uh, regenerative uh, uh farming methods um yeah definitely a great reference book for sure uh, and he kind of covers a lot of the stuff uh, much more in depth on the, the actual photographing of these microbes and documenting and mapping it out and i think that's one of the cool things that you uh, reading through your book was how much of the stuff that you know, kind of had been, you know, there was a lot of different assumptions with with a bunch of different things that, with some of these preparations. And when you actually went through and and dug through it and actually properly uh, analyzed it, there there's actually quite a bit of difference in a lot of the different preparations compared to what we we thought there was originally. And it's one of the things 
I really like about the work that you do with it is to kind of help dispel a lot of the the bro science and the the religion of organic uh, uh, feelings that a lot of people have then and actually come back and, and prove it with science and, and show, okay, well, here's what what we thought it was because of we used this light field and all of, with that method, you, you could totally get those types of observations. But if you actually go and look at the DNA sequence as well, to, you know, cross confirm it, uh, it's actually this other thing. And uh, that was one of the coolest things I got out of your, your microscope book. Oh, thanks. I, it, it, you know, it, it, we have all kind of trusted in whatever we're taught. We're kind of raised in a schooling system to just trust on the word and take my word for it. Bro science, essentially, hearsay. <laughs> and, and now we have the tools to test. And now we have the ability to actually look at what's natural and to go down to the cycles, the first principles, the universal systems at work, the chemistry and the biology to actually map it out in a way that allows us to tailor it to the nuance of the plant or the bioregion or the, the time of year. And, <clears throat> and so that book really is about documenting how to, how to, how to do that with a microscope. And, and, and what I was, what I did was I did a lot of debunking. Like, for instance, I was I was I was alluding to before we, we started. If we take the same like amount, uh, one ml tamped down amount, and it's compacted sand, it's gonna not compact very much because it's already compacted. So that there's not much airspace. It'll just go. Chunk, you know, like a shovel full of wet sand is completely different than a shovel full of loamy no-till dirt. And you can compress no-till dirt down into a ball. Sometimes airy compost is the same way. And so when we're tamping it down, we're actually representing different volumes of the soil profile. So the difference between like loamy soil and like compacted sand is like inches all the way around. So, so when you then are improving your soil dramatically every year, your numbers, when you do the same test, are gonna fool you. And me comparing my soil to someone else's soil with that math is also gonna fool us. It's much more useful to stay within the frame of reference not scale up because you'll scale up the inaccuracy and simply look at what's there and, 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 and look at other tests that, and so ratios, other tests and develop and looking at the cycles and the first principles. And so this book really is a reference because it has the cycles, it has the mineral cycles, it has the pH, EH, bioavailability, uh, or the solubility of, of, of all minerals that are plant essential. And it has the solutions and actions and the strategies so you can make your holistic, uh, your holistic um, soil management plan. So it's all designed to be strategic, but I've, I've also made it so that it's open-ended because the reality is when someone tells you, and this is what the experts have been telling us for years, that we only know 1% or 3%, some say 5%, some recently say 10%. But if you go to your spouse or your boss or your loved one 
or your children and say, I'm 90 to 95% unsure, or I don't know 90 to 95% of what this is all about. They're going to be like, well, you don't know anything, <laughs> right? And so we need to take a stance that's a little different than a lot of the stances that have been taken, where people are like definitive and authoritative and then judgmental. And so like, I want to undo a lot of that by showcasing transparently the tests I've done. And I realized very early on while I was doing microscopy that and DNA testing that everyone's got to see what I'm doing. I've got to release it kind of like a report. And then as I got more and more into it, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many of these. Um, <laughs> you know, I keep, I kept finding things that were made me have to rethink the way we were doing things. A lot of people are like, oh, if there's naked amoebae and there's, uh, you know, flagellates and flagellated amoebae. It's great. It's great. But that's like Giardia. Uh, that's the brain eating amoebae. And the brain eating amoebae is common to soil and moist, uh, like, like uh, climates and ponds and everything. So we have to tailor things to, and, and keep our common sense in, in. We have to tailor things to the frame of reference. And then we have to keep common sense because a lot of people are like, bathing in compost tea and there i've seen people drink em that was made with pond water they got all excited and i was like oh my gosh okay hopefully everyone's okay okay we're gonna be okay hopefully <laughs> ah! freaky though because they want it to be but what's good for plants what's good for soil what's good for composting is not necessary and good for remediation especially because what remediates plastic is actually not so great for us. Aspergillus fumigatus is the one that takes care of plastic. So one of them. And so we have to re recognize that what's great for them, it's not always great for us. And the end product could be great, the fruit or the leaves and you know all those kinds of things. But people are taking soil and huffing it, you know, and, 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 and that, for the immune compromised is, is not smart to do. And they need to know that in order to be like, oh, well, that's not smart to do. And the information just hasn't circulated. So I, I really try to position this in a way to be pragmatic, to be really transparent so that I'm honest about what I'm doing, what I'm seeing, why I see it the way I see it. And then showcase how I did it and then open the door and say, hey, let's all replicate these things and let's map these things out. Because that's if we look at the universities, they they're doing things all backwards. They've got doctorate students and uh, graduate students managing their university fields that they're basing their studies off of. They're like the University of Delaware says when farmers and you're like, wait, is this Joel Saladin's farm? No. Whose farm is this? Like, oh, it's the university fields. Uh-huh. And how are they managed? Terribly, chemically, and without any biological understanding. And so it, we are in a weird position where we need to have citizen science provide the balance because they're driving like one-eyed or blind. They're, you know, they're driving like this. They're all over the road. Um, and we see it in medicine. 
we see it in 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 i mean right now in psychology they say you know uh, you know 30% to 60% of the of the studies are not replicable and not provable and the, recently harvard just got shown to be actually they faked the data it wasn't like they did some thing that was uh like like obscuring it you know and it's muddy and they can just make a judgment call no 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 they fudged those numbers on purpose to get the result they wanted and like that's the thing is we live in a world where people are pressured their integrity is is i don't ever feel that i've walked out of plenty of jobs i've 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 gotten in you know i i've sacrificed jobs to to my to 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 this and i i feel like we can all follow paths of integrity if we provide the information and the pathway that's why i i really want this database to happen um and i'm gonna make it happen but i mean like happen in terms of like hundreds of thousands of people participating because if we have that over the course of like let's say 10 years Oh my word, we'll have more data, more accurate data, and more nodes of more real situations and variation of real situations than any university, any study. And then all those universities will be looking at us for as a data set, making it even more valuable. And I'm going to charge them so that we can make like AI tools so that we can do counting easier. Because no one wants to do the counting, especially now that they know that it's not quite accurate. So, so, so counting, I, I, that's why I only do counting, you know, I, with the hemocytometer, because that's the only way to stay accurate. And it's, it's easy, you know, when it's a 0.05 millimeter squared, I mean, you've seen the, the images, especially when they're lit up, it's easy, but, but all in all, people don't like to do it, especially with the fact that the math gets so screwed up. Um, and that's why I had to provide something different. When we keep things in frame of reference, when we keep it to ratios, it makes sense. You're like, oh, we we have 20, you know, to 30. Yeah, right there, those small squares in the middle. When you have one to three on average in those squares and you have nematodes and protozoa, that's a problem, right? Because they're not gonna have enough food. But when you have 20 in there to 30, that's a really powerful base. And you need a powerful base of bacteria in your in your system to power it. And <clears throat> the bacteria could be on the surface of the organic matter. Um, your fungi could also be inside the organic matter. So you got to take all those things in, into account when you're trying to calculate these things. That's why a fungal to bacterial ratio microbiometer as a control with your microscopy work is so important. Uh, I really embrace all the tests that I can find that I can verify are useful once I get. So I like to interview the people working on creating these tests so I understand why. So much of the tests are light-based, color-based, and, and minerals are all associated with color. Uh, how, I mean, because microbes and, and fungi, they have this external digestion. Fungi release digestive enzymes. And so they actually take on the color of their environment. And so when you have like high humic content, you're going to have darker hyphae. 
it's not really age. And there is some speciation coloration to everything, of course, but it's also goes hand in hand where the species are living, where those minerals are present. So they take on those colors. And so in more oxidized, more alkaline and oxidized soils, more desertified soils, and in, in especially oxidized when there's iron, you have spores that are orange and, and reddish and yellowish on that spectrum headed that direction. So it, 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 it's, it's very, and then in, in more humid, humic driven climates, you, you head down more brown route. Um, so it's, it, and, and as we map these things out, we're going to be able to double back and use that information for the community. And once we accumulate enough gradient of information, we're going to be like, wow, this is the color spectrum for organic matter under the microscope and still taking into account that like everyone's brightness is going to be a little bit different. Everyone's like dilution, you know what I mean? Maybe a slightly little bit different because of the interstitial spaces, uh, you know what I mean? Then the structure and all of that. But we're going to be able to start creating generalized parameters and recognizing things because if, if your organic matter is darker, that is carbon. And, and so the, the, it's all, if it's all, and that's, that's humic, you know, humic acids and, and it's more fulvic if it's the yellows and the lighter colored, and it's also maturation as these aggregates are made and they're made larger and there's more carbon stored in them and there's more energy in them, they darken. This, the, the, the actual diagonal stripes in the bottom right organic matter, that's actually wood. It's a chunk of biochar wood that wasn't fully uh, burned. So you can see little bits of char and those are the lines of the wood, the wood grain. It's pretty incredible. So I, and, and, and so I, I also bring to, I also bring us beyond Brightfield. So all the courses that you'll find online, what everyone's doing is Brightfield. The fact is that that bottom left epifluorescence, all the mycorrhizal fungi, the fungi that matters to plants is invisible to bright field. So mycorrhizal fungi, the powerhouse of all plants, almost all plants, I should say, uh, and endophytes are in all plants. So fungi parts of all plants, um, they, they're invisible in bright field. And so stains are necessary for endophytes to see to see some of their actions. And then epifluorescence, this lamp right here, is necessary to see the mycorrhizal fungi. And also you can track, what's really cool is you can track the movement of phosphorus. So if you add something that's MPK something something, and then you put it into an EM kind of ferment, and you let that sit, and you're scaling it up like you would your EM, you're extending it, you have the NPK test at the end of the two, three weeks, and you're like, well, or maybe even three, four days. And there's no phosphorus, no nitrogen in the mix, but the microbes are happy. And so you put them under the microscope and then half them are glowing bright and the other half aren't. So you know that they're, they've taken up that phosphorus and the test runs clean, but it's still there inside them so 
those kind of those kinds of of of, of things are completely new paradigms. Um, so the, one of the biggest things I learned in writing this book would be that we need to have all of these tests work in a holistic in tandem way everything i learned was that w was around the fact that we aren't doing enough testing and when we do the biological testing with the microscope and we do the contextual testing like the nbk like the ph it changes everything because Someone may have all this compost and there's saprophytic fungi in it, and then they don't pH test it and it's pH eight, but they have pH seven. And so you're going to put, or pH 7.5, you're going to pull them away from neutral. It's going to oxidize alkaline. Holy cow, the fungi in there is basidiomycota. It's saprophytic. And there might be like some like secondary relationship with plants, but we don't know about it other than a few that turn into endophytes like turkey tail, but most compost aren't rocking turkey tail. Yeah. And so, and so I, I recognized that we weren't actually providing the proper context and what everyone was being taught was fungi was fungi. They weren't understanding that there was many types of fungi and the most important fungi we're never even being looked at. And so I had to basically back things out a little bit because people were very certain and authoritative about things. I had to back things up. I had to simplify things. And actually what I teach is a lot more simple and more powerful because it's simple and clean and clear and we can see an alignment to other tests. So for me, I think the biggest thing that I learned in writing this book is that without the biological microscopy, we can't make sense of all those other tests because we've all been doing pH and MPK forever. But we can't do biology and microscopy alone either because you'll have the situation which kind of spurred the whole thing in the beginning, which is there's a lab in a European country that I won't name because there's two in that country these two labs and they got sent the same sample and they gave divergent answers and the farmer exposed them publicly and it was painful and then they decided to do zoom we'll do a zoom and then we'll do it at the same time and they're doing it at the same time and then, they do it, and then they're calculating the different answers again and so they got like really embarrassed and then he asked me to figure this out and so i was able like the biggest takeaway is that we have something now that we can use to navigate further in soil science as a vehicle, a way to test and understand things and develop a community of understanding that, that allows us to see things in a completely new way. So instead of just being bacteria and fungi, we have individuals we're working with. And instead of it just being bright fields and limited to things that we can see through in a light from below silhouettes, which is not very good, by the way, um, it liberates us to see things in a completely new light. And so this is really about empowering people to start their own practice with, with, with microscopy or start a, a community lab or even a soil testing lab. 
and to participate in the creation of this database because it's going to be you're going to be able to map yourself over time but not only that you're going to be able to compare to your bioregion and there will be much the, the value will be exponential as our tests accumulate and we can start comparing things and that's what it's all about it's about to, that comparison that delves into deeper and deeper understanding for instance you know patterns so uh, my book um i mean everyone i'm talking to you know you understand patterns and when you see something you just know it if it's held up against a different pattern and so my book has i don't find it anywhere else in the world it has references for people doing microscopy in soil so if you want to see compacted subsoil it's there and you can go oh no my soil looks like compacted subsoil right or you're like, wow, you know, we, we're kind of looking good. We, we have the same things that are in this good compost. Oh, we have that same fungi. Oh, those spores, that's what they are. Oh, that protozoa, the testate with the shell and everything, those are good. All right. And, 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 and not only that, the size of things, I had never seen anyone provide the actual magnification with the same uh, subject through the different magnifications. So here's the hyphae at 40X, a hyphae at 100X, a hyphae at 400, a hyphae at 600, so that you can actually compare and, and kind of ground yourself in where you are. And so if you had that to the 100X, to a 1000X, then my book is kind of like a taste of that, right? If you had that in a database where you're like, well, I think it's a fungal nematode. Let me look up fungal nematodes. And you look it up and then there's a 500 images and they're ranked by the community's star ranking and review of it, both on quality and interpretation. And so you could be looking at the highest quality images and then you could be seeing which are the highest rated or vice versa. And, and I want it to be community driven. I want um, the community because the reality is the, the nematode ID keys, the protozoa ID keys, all these things are university open source and they're, they're there, right? Um, there are some that I've had to buy to get to certain levels and depths. And that's why they're in the book um, and they're referenced as well in the book. But until we do this work, until we start documenting all of our backyards and and I, I want it to be anonymous too. So you can be like five to 10 miles from where you live and just make it anonymous and say your local town, you know, it's not about, you know, tracking anything like people wise. This is about helping each other understand the actual behavior. So I'm letting nature speak. And so I do, I, I've set things up with pure samples as well. I, I realized no one had done pure cultures of things. No one had done the work of documenting the pure cultures so that we would have references to look against and to understand and ID things. So that's that, that, that was another part of it that was so essential and also a prelude to the database because all these people who are working in labs are now finding out about my course and community. I've been talking to them. A lot of them are nurses. But there are people who have their own labs and people who are doing soil, people who are doing microbiology in totally different parts of the world in different uh, avenues as well. And they're going to start contributing. 
And so we're going to see this feedback loop, like just start getting stronger and stronger. And I just want to be part of it. I want it to be this natural organism, like truly like a, a natural community, uh, natural feedback, and to let it grow like a slime mold in a Japanese subway model system. You know, I want this thing to just myceliate out and get wild because I believe in that. That's what I really believe in. I believe in the power of us working together to unlock this. And, and that's why the database is designed because I realized what was going on was all these experts were doing this pyramidic shape thing with the way they taught. They were like, no, 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 I'm the expert. Here it is. And I'm, uh, and I'm the, always the student, right? I gather from people, uh, from different people. I have all these different mentors and ultimately we're a men in science. We're mentored by nature and by whatever we're studying. And if we don't put that in music, we say, you know, what does the song need? Let's put the song first. Like egos aside, right? Uh, and 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 that's what I want to do here. I really want to open this up. Um, did I run uh, DNA on those pure samples too? That's that's awesome. That's awesome. I want to do that. Um, I didn't do that on them. are like Carolina lab certified uh, samples. Um, and so I have different companies that I bought these things from and they're lab certified. So they are tested in their lab before I receive them. But that's, that's great. The, the thing with running DNA is I tend to do it uh, in large batches when I do it. And I really want to, um, I, I, I've only done compost in soil and EM so far. Um, I want to do the, uh, the algae bar and PNS, uh, propylene sulfur bacteria and, and, and then I've got slants. And so we, we could easily do the slants as well. I, I have them all in storage, so, so we could do that, but in a week and a half, I'm going to be with Alan Rockefeller and Mandy Quark and they purify things in order to sequence DNA for fungi. And this is kind of like the final frontier. This is the third book in the trilogy. It's there's no date on it because of this very reason. I want to understand the fungal side. It takes days to break things down. Fungi fights the whole time, and it's so subtle that people are using PCR, which I don't want to use because of the distortion factors, because this throws out all the ability for us to compare numbers. And so, and, and then also we have to do huge amounts of grain of salt about what we're actually seeing because of the duplication factors and, and distortions. And so I, and you have to basically with fungi, with DNA sequencing, you have to decide where you want to go. You're like, oh no, I want to test for these fungi. And then you won't see any of the rest. So I, I when I talk to people in the DNA world, I'm like, no, 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 I want to test for all the fungi. And I wanted to do it all at once with one sample. And they're like, whoa. But some people think that there's some merit to that. And that's what I feel like I need to do and figure out. Because oh, if we're doing like four different preps, oh my word. Uh, and I'll do it. 
I'll take I'll bite the bullet for everyone to get the information and map some ranges out like I've done with a bunch of things. But but at a certain point, I want to figure out how to bundle it all and see all the fungi. And so that's what I want to figure out. And these tools, this nanopore minion, the Oxford nanopore technology, it's a direct read system. It reads DNA like a barcode being read at a grocery store. And it, by, it electrically reads through nanopore that feeds in the strands of DNA. It's amazing. And so it's excellent at reading bacteria and archaea. It reads it like, boop, like unbelievable. We just have to figure out the right prep to prepare it to make the fungi visible. And so that's really, and it's brand new. So that's really like where we're at right now with the DNA side of it. So that's why when Dr. James F. White, I told him I want to do uh, DNA sequencing for fungi, he was like, oh, well, I'll stick with a microscope. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, 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 and then I got deep into microscopy and I was like, uh, okay, all right. And then we find out that you can have morphologically the same fungi or bacteria and they are genetically different and this is people go oh no but think about it we have lookalikes in nature we have snakes that look like birds and birds that insects that look like you know all all over the map right lookalikes and then you have things that are the same niche in different climates all over the world but they're but and they have similar features but they're a lizard or they're an amphibian in this one, or it's a mammal in this one, or it's a marsupial in that one, but they're filling the same niche and they have similar features, similar adaptations because the environment called for it and biologically it makes sense. And so um, that, that, that's essential. That means that the, the morphology of things, despite the genes, and, and genes are, are important too, but they're a snapshot of a moving river. And so the morphology is telling us about the environment and the pressures of the environment. And so it's really important to understand the DNA because it tells you what the potentials for expression when things get in different stresses. So if you've got all these like pathogens and there's no pathogens that you're seeing expressed, remember the DNA reading is flat most times. It doesn't tell you what's epigenetically being chosen. There's the old dead DNA and, and fragments of DNA of the past as well mixed in. So that's what's going to happen when it's waterlogged and pathogenic. Those things right there are going to be selected for. And so maybe there's a 10 count of out of 400,000, but that 10 count will multiply within hours in those pathogenic conditions. This is what the Petri dish experiment is, right? Eight hours in, it's like... Oh, furry, you know what I mean? Ah, and 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 it's and that's just what happens in the right conditions. So it's incredibly important to have the tools to be able to navigate and disambiguate. And so I, I've really gathered this to to create clarity. And it all scales back to this book. And this book all scales back to the organic matter, the minerals, the biology. The, the plants, their photosynthesis and the air and water. 
And it's just those five pieces. And then it turns into a pragmatic plan of solutions and actions. And with Regenerative Soil, Microscopy, the new book, it's no different. So we're going to be looking at, is there protozoa? Is there, is there, are there nematodes? What types of these things are there? Um, and, 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 and then, you know, is there enough bacteria? Is it enough in ratio to what's there? So understanding all these things and keeping their frame of reference uh, has, has been so transformative that now that I'm on the site in Texas, I'm growing, you know, cover crops first season straight out, uh, out of the gate. And I'm getting three foot long, you know, uh, two and a half, three foot long. And then like, it's like eight inches, maybe nine inches wide daikon radishes and turnips as big as my head. And it's because I amended it beforehand with the biochar and the kelp meal and my water and, uh, and, and, and rock dust. And I watered it in EM. And then I inoculated my, my seeds before they went in the mycorrhizal fungi and rhizobia for the beans. And, and then I did foliar sprays. And so I applied everything that I, that, that's in this book, right? And the results are absolutely incredible. But I know what to do because under the microscope, using these methods, I can see that it's just fun. I mean, it's just bacteria. There's no fungi. There's no nematodes here. And, and, and I was looking at, I was looking at um, nodules half a week ago and they had cooked in the heat because it's been over a hundred degrees for, I don't know how long weeks um, often like it goes dips just below a hundred and then goes back up and the nodules are cooked. So instead of being blood red, they're brown inside and, and it's just, they got, they just got charred. I mean, I mean, just got just burned in 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 the, in the heat here. So, we are working on establishing shade uh, and uh, more organic matter to to handle the heat and space things out because hot sand conducts heat really well because it's uh, it's a, it's they're all silicates. So, so yeah, no, it's we're at a an amazing space for science and soil because the results that we see right off the bat are so powerful when we choose to do things with an eye on both the chemistry and the biology because for so long it's been one or the other and it's that's made people you know myopic and so marrying these two which is what you do that's why yeah when, when we first started talking i was like tell me more, tell me more. You know, that's why we're up so late that night. And it's, and it, marrying these things, combining these things is so incredibly potent because that's reality. These, the, these minerals aren't like somehow evil and oh, chemical, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, the synthetics, they're bad because they're purified elements in the way they get them. And and the way they shred organic matter and but Hyo Restrepo is helping people with leftover pure nasty camp, you know, you know, the purified minerals actually deal with them, those chemical salts in a way that's regenerative. And I think that's really incredibly important that there's a bridge, there's a way that's affordable to deal with these things so that they can biologically transform 
those mineral-based fertilizers. And it's something that actually is going to be biologically driven, controlled, and guided so they don't shock their soil. They don't destroy their organic matter. And they also don't lose all that value. So much of it just comes in, shocks everything, and just leaches away, especially in some of these uh, Latin American climates that I'm specifically referring to with higher restrepa. So... Uh I was just going to say, it's interesting looking at rice patties too. There's very little fungi. Um, there's some there, but it's all mainly bacterial dominant. That's something I noticed in, uh, in the fields, uh, the rice fields. Yeah. And I also, I mean, I was on a um, cannabis discussion thing like two weeks ago, maybe a three weeks, I don't know, a while ago. And I said, they, they told me what, what would my advice to be to make the best of the best and for cannabis and I was like well let's look at the soil the plants up the microbes on the leaf surface the microbes inside their practices the plant that went into the compost that they made the compost right all of it and look at the best and let that speak to us and let's learn because imposing and I mean there are universal principles all these different things that I can source and cite and like say this would be great but only when we're in a conversation can we actually understand what plants proclivities are some plants they do just fine with certain things and we don't need to worry about that and if you do if you, you're like oh i'm adding the nitrogen it's like uh well legumes don't need that you know now they're not going to nodulate and do the job that you wanted them to do so we have to be like super appropriate with all these things and having that dual vision, complete holistic vision, and always asking the question, what's most natural is what led to this. I think, you know, just thinking about your question of what's the biggest breakthrough, maybe the biggest breakthrough is the manual lighting. The manual lighting was wild. That happened during the Kickstarter. I realized we're always lighting things from below and linearly, and I I just decided that I didn't want to chop up the root. I didn't want to drown it in water, and I didn't want to clean it off. I wanted to see how the, the, the aggregates actually interacted with the roots. I wanted to see what things looked like most naturally. And suddenly I was like, wait, let's light this differently so i my roommate in college was a photography major so when i take pictures i'm i'm turning the lights off in the room i'm i'm using different forms of light alan rockefeller is an excellent example i'm using all these little micro dim lights to make it in black velvet to make his dramatic mushroom pictures I, i'm that same kind of camp where i i make sure everything's very clean very clear and then i light I light things differently and I actually look for this re re refractive, like bare fringence um, kind of effect with a certain angle. And that's all in the book. Um, the thing is when we actually see roots the way they were supposed to be seen, which is what this manual can do, they look like glass, which makes sense. Plant leaves, plant roots, they all look like glass because they're supposed to capture light. And then they, they, they have this energetic reaction, right? 
Well, let's think about that. They are little greenhouses as cells that let in the light to do all this work. So we and we and with epifluorescence, you can see those specific cells because they turn red, blood red, bright, bright red, wild. So so the manual lighting allowed me to see things naturally, like the natural, actual color of roots. And then to and then to see their actual behavior rather than this silhouette. Do you want you want to show that picture from the from the book? So, uh, yeah, and it was something that just came out of the blue. It was a breakthrough. And I, I think it's one of the biggest things I've learned is, you know, the biggest thing I learned is that we have to do the work ourselves, that we have to talk like the way that Stephen and I do. We talk about everything under the sun, you know, but we talk about the science a lot, too. And you, we need to be in conversation with, with the natural world around us, with our peers, you know, and, and, you know, e even when our peers are critical, we need to be thinking about that and be like, well, is it like this? Or, you know what, I, I actually, I do think I was right about that. But, 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 but it's in that conversation that we grow in that conversation that we're challenged and like think, am I right about that? Well, let's test it. Let's test my let's yeah, I'm gonna how do I test that best? And then we, 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 we actually create, we steal man, you know, when we, we, we look and if we don't look, we don't see. And that's, the, that's one of the most important things. This is epifluorescence. So you can see how the fungi goes around, around the cell. And when they go inside the cells, they go, they don't go all the way into, into the actual, like, uh, organelles or the, the the they go in between the the actual cell and the cell wall and so the arbuscular uh, arbuscular shape the arbor shape of arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi is actually an artifact of what they're doing with the the harsh chemicals and it's much more subtle just like you know, when you look at fungi and it spreads out myceliates, it goes very, very fine and then starts going up. Uh, what, they, what they did when they were doing that work is they burned it all to nubs. And that's why we had the arbuscular shape. This is what plant roots actually look like. It's pretty incredible to compare the two, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the 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 level of detail in a lot of your photos is with again. I'm not trying to show too much of the book because I want you guys to to get a get a copy. But um, it's just there. There's no other place you're going to find this this type of of information. Certainly not where it's all laid out in a way that's designed to make you easily digested. Even if you're someone that's just buying their first microscope, you know. Yeah, and that's that was what was so wild to me when I started this project was there is no other visually based soil microscopy book. Nothing. There is books about soil testing, none on microscopy. There is microscopy sections and mycology books. They don't really tell you much. And they have like maybe nine pictures, usually in black and white. 
Berge's systematic bacteriology, the, the, the top of all bacteriology, uh, you're, you're going to get black and white text, no images mostly. And so it was critical for me to show people what is actually there. These images are not composite images. These are one shot. And you can see the angle of light. And you can see the silhouette effect. I mean, how worthless is that silhouette in comparison? And what's wild is this, this came to me in the middle of the Kickstarter, the pressure of the Kickstarter. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. And then boom, this happened. And, and this is something everyone anywhere scope can do tonight. You can probably figure out what I did just by just by thinking about it logically. And that's the weird thing to me. So much of microscopy is very limited in the way that they think about things. They're like, well, we're gonna we're gonna stain this in the stain and then we'll rinse it 50 times, 50 yes, 50 times with some acid. All right. And then we'll count the microbes. It's like, wait, who's on acid? <laughs> it's like they're crazy. And and or, or or you know what Elaine Ingham stood up against you guys? Elaine Ingham, I love Elaine. She in the 90s, she was like, Why are you guys taking flame affixing the microbes and the agar to the to the um slide and then viewing it and then she and her husband worked on the whole um liquid molten agar with the fda it's the same thing though you're still killing it all but i was able to craft a way to do do with with new kinds of stains keep things alive keep things simple no molten agar no fda no unfreezing your samples and and it's it, she, her her contribution in the '90s was to say let's put everything in a, a test tube with water and look at it fresh. And her her viability staying with the FDA is what I was referring to there. Um, but she that's that's an incredible contribution um, that to to just be able to look at it fresh and immediately that was revolutionary at the time. And even in academia today, they don't really do it. They're still doing the flame affixing agar, um, and even she, when she does her viability stain testing with with the fluorescence diacetate, she's using molten agar. And so, I I have continued her ethic and gone further and created something where we stain with it alive, we don't kill it, and then with roots we look at it raw. And we don't, we don't, we don't cut it up. We don't drown it. We don't even stain it because epifluorescence is instant. I just put the lamp on. So I've, I've, I've really tried to raise the bar and apply the, the, the spirit of the ethic be, behind what a lot of my mentors started with early on um, and apply that at a, a higher level so that we, because I mean, this is the only way we can figure this stuff out. Um, and so 
like I said, I really value all those people and their contributions. Um, but we need to have all of us have that transparency, have that conversation and have these test methods go out into the world and understanding too. I mean, people are adding compost without pH testing it first, not knowing whether they're pulling their pH any direction. People are not NPK testing. And so they're like, oh, I'm going to add compost and the mycorrhizal inoculum at the same time. And meanwhile, high in phosphorus, and that just negated all that micro expensive mycorrhizal fungi you just put it on there. It's going to inhibit it inoculating your seed. And so you have to separate those things out. You just have to time it out. And so you add the compost tea two weeks later, you know, or the compost addition, you know, whatever we're talking about, you're going to time it out and separate these things. And, and so I think it's really critical to, to have that kind of understanding. And that's why the microscopy is just one component. It's one of the five components. We still need to do mineral testing. We still need to understand, you know, how organic matter works, how to create good compost, how to do cover crops, um, and how, and, and how to, you know, find coherence between all these different things. So that's what I'm working on. I'm really excited about it. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been an adventure <laughs> and I'm excited for people to now join me <laughs> on explore explorations and deep adventures into this space, because we have incredible examples of people doing amazing work and doing methods that they don't really understand. And so the active mechanisms, the why, how, and when are ambiguous still. And that means that we can make them more nuanced. We can take them up to another level. And we can also prevent us from wasting or, or, or you know, there's so much to this. So being in that, that listener, that receptive, that humble space is so key. So that's, that's what I've really tried to do um, with all, with the work with this book. That's awesome. Uh we had another question from chat it asked about redox. He says, uh, still trying to wrap my head around basic soil redox. Um, oh, I know easy. that you covered that, in, that. Uh, a lot in your first book. Do you want to mention that a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, 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 I do redox on a lot of different things that are liquid-based because it's easy. You just do do, you know, it's all the EM and the, the um, purple non-sulfur bacteria, um, uh, brews that that I, I've tested those those are so easy to do the redox on with soil it's harder because well for a variety of reasons why it's harder uh, I've got videos on this online but the best way to think about it easiest way to think about it is moisture so you could have soils that are acidic mineral wise and they're still oxidized dry and you could have really wet soils and have them be alkaline and that's this is sounds atypical but that's the wetlands by the ocean the brackish water so there's very specific examples that most people don't talk about but those areas are the areas most soil scientists don't ever address but for the main group of us, we are looking at 
redox and seeing it as just the difference of moisture. And it's so it's dryness to moisture. And so when it's really, really dry, things go alkaline. When it's really, really wet, it's really acidic and reduced. And it'll flip, you know, I know, no, I know as things get anaerobic and all of that, we head into a different discipline and zone. But redox really is reduction and oxidation. Oxidation is the loss of energy. And that's why we measure this all in millivolts. But it's also, it's also how oxidized it is. And when we oxidize things, we dry them out. And so this opens up a, a, a huge door once you begin to understand that oxidation is the loss of energy and that water is energy, right? Um, and so we, because of plants, plants are practicing hydrolysis internally and releasing protons with that water all the time. And so, and so it turns right into energy. And, and obviously it's, it's an even equation in water, right? And that's why they release the water, the oxygen in the water, but plants are gassing off the oxygen in the air so they can cheat and put down those protons alone down into the soil. It's incredibly amazing. Actually, when you think about it, it's a miracle. Um, it's just a miracle that we, that, that happened, right? Uh, and, and so redox is the gathering when we are drawing down and reducing things, we're gathering energy and that's protons, that's moisture. And, and so when you look at climates that are more acidic, um, they're more moist all over the world and they can hold more energy because they're moist and because, and it's all these things together because they're more moist. They make more organic matter because they have organic matter. They can hold more energy and they're all tied together um, inseparably, beautifully. And so, so in, in, in pH and, and redox are also related because remember protons, you know, they're energy H plus, but they're also acidification, right? So, so it's got some, it, it feels like, you know, we're wrapping our heads around something very difficult to understand, but at the same time, we're talking about moisture uh, and different ways of measuring that from, I mean, I, I see, I see it as, as measuring like pH is the hydrogen cycle. We're measuring power of hydrogen. And so we're seeing the results of water, right. in the acidification. And so it's the results of plants interacting with water and the protons. And then when we look at redox, we're really measuring the oxidation rate, the, like how much energy is being, is being released. You know what I mean? It's being constantly being oxidized and released. Um, so, so that's, that's, that, that would be an explanation. They, we can go on forever though, uh, because like in my course, like in Dr. Olivia Husson's free online course, you can find it online um, on Redox. There's a lot here and it relates to our food. The fact that eating dried, like eating dried meat versus fresh meat, you know, completely different for your body. Um, 
eating uh fresh you know even if you you don't eat meat you know like eating like fresh moringa uh leaves versus eating dried moringa leaves completely different they're oxidized compounds and your body has to then reduce them down again and so there's a energetic loss in that relationship rather than just immediate gain so so we're going to learn more and you're going to see more in your lifetime about redox especially because antioxidant foods fight cancer huh let's put that one together oxidative stress is the root of all disease and the root of all cancer so oxidized foods look pretty suspicious right and so huh and then you look at like the really reduced things, the really energetically charged things, they're all the herbs, all the herbs, the old herbal bitters, all those things, those are highly reduced energetically. Same thing with our, our ferments with vinegars and our pickles, and those are highly energetic, highly energetic. So, uh, and, and notice the pickle is sitting there in a brine, right? Have you done experiments with like electricity and salt? And you know that there's, there's like a, a serious energy to that. Any questions? I was just going to say, have you done any work with vinegar for extractions? We had Nigel Palmer on here. Uh, he talked a lot about doing vinegar nutrient extractions uh, instead of like a liquid IMO. Or a you know a, a or a jadam preparation. Um, have you messed with that at all? Or yeah, so I add a lot of water kefir grains, and so the acetobacter because it makes vinegar right, uh, and acetic acid strongly if you let it go, you know, and so that's always a component in there. Um, and so yeah, no, I value those microbes a lot. I have. One of the things is it's like I, I I don't have the time to do the eggshell cooking and all that kind of stuff, and so I just grab the the chicken's um, grit. I just stole some of their grit, <laughs> the oyster shells, right? They're already ground up, and I just put them in with vinegar, and man, the bubbles wild. So, so yeah, no, I do extractions. Um, I love EM, EM, and using water kefir now in in and it's not at EM that I'm doing really. What what I did was I was inspired by EM and I started doing my own my own blends. And so I do water kefir. I routinely do add, you know, EM1, the actual commercial brand. Every once in a while I'll add that because I do testing of that as a control with things. And I I add the purple and silver bacteria from Algae Barn. I'll add the um the planet sun, the bio sun stuff too, um, because I have it because I was using that in testing and I'll add molasses, of course, to extend it. Um, but that's kind of like what I add. And so it, it's the microbes from, from EM and then plus plus like extras. So, so th I, I, that's, that's mainly what I do. Um, and that's how I extract things even. I'll put manure in there. I'll put um, different nutrients in there, uh, rock dust, biochar dust. Biochar dust 
when it disappears and your ferments goes inside the microbes too. And so you have them supercharged with carbon and then you feed them to plant roots and plant roots destroy them and release that supercharged carbon inside them. Eh, I really, I, yeah, I really want to do more testing in, in that whole space because I've, I've done that a few times with hyperdrive as a surfactant to break the surface tension of the biochar. And uh, it's, it's, it, I want to, yeah, I want to do more with that. That's how I was able to cure a peach wilt, a peach leaf wilt or peach pearl wilt. What else? Um, let me see here on my notes. I apologize. Um, actually, uh, you had some samples you prepped uh, right beforehand. Um, do you want to throw that up? I forgot yeah. all about that. Let me, um, the slide dried. The slide just dried out. So let me just requeue. Sure. If you guys have any questions for Matt in chat, feel free to uh, fire away. Just at me in chat so I can find them easier. You've been queuing your stuff up as you guys have been asking. Certainly is uh, always nice to have Matt on. Always learning from him. Like him and I talk a lot, as he was saying, <laughs> many times a week. Always vibing on different ideas, and different things. It's very, very fun. Well, this space is so fertile. I mean, it's it feels like we're at the very beginning of an entirely new series of paradigms of understanding soil because soil is the linchpin to the health of our plants and our animals and ourselves. It really is this kind of fulcrum leverage point of the next century because if we master, you know, this role of humility, we can learn so much from soil and nature. I mean, that's what permaculture told me. I was like, wow, I didn't know anything. Like permaculture really was like a wake up call for me, uh, you know, 15 years ago. I, I, it gave me hope about what was possible because nature is so amazing. Plants are so amazing. Oh, people are always asking me, like, what's the best thing to get into for aquaponics? And I always tell them, look, the thing is the most growth potential is these the microbial isolations. You know, there's people have studied and studied and studied a lot of the soil stuff, but very few people have looked at aquatic microbes for use with terrestrial plants and their interactions. There's, there's very little, and a lot of them dramatically increase terpene and other secondary metabolite production. So if you're doing essential oil production or a lot of the stuff that actually produces stuff that's valuable, um, you can really crank up. And even if you're doing it with uh, applying it to the soil. So for instance, um, last year we did a big, we did a 10 acre versus a 60 acre control with hay uh, in Oklahoma using uh, aquaculture fish waste. And we produced almost as much hay off of that 10 acre aquaculture fed control, even though it only got watered three times over the entire summer, um, they had almost the same number of, of uh, hay bales off of just that 10 acres as the 60 acre control. Um, so it, it made a huge difference in water retention, growth speed, 
you know, uh, uh, disease resistance and even insect um, pressure uh, with the aquaculture water. So it's something that I really, you know, if you're watching this, you're a big aquaponic person, you know, get into this stuff, you know, and, and there's certainly a, a good career in there if you, you uh, take the time to do it right. My feeling is that there's probably microbes that were evolutionarily included that we lost long ago in most of these plants because of the way we save seeds, dries things down because, and that kills things. And the way that we sterilized things on a mass scale for generations, for over 50 years and spraying fungicides everywhere. And so it's no surprise in that context that we have things that are going to surprise us because we don't even have an accurate understanding of what's possible yet. So I really feel like there are going to be some massive breakthroughs waiting for us in the, in the microbes of the aquaculture world. All right. So, um, I got this. You want to check this out? I just pinned it. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> okay. So right there, smack dab in the middle, we have a testate amoeba. This testate amoeba, it, it looks like it ate a spore. That's right. It's got a spore inside and spores are flexible. So it sucks it in through the mouth part right here. And then it will break this down and, and, and digest it. We can see this organic matter. It, it, it ranges in the aggregation. This is lighter. This is darker. There's, there's sections that are darker. Here's the darkest section in the, in the bit. This is the, mo this is the most carbon right here in the center of the image. Uh, in this, and in, in, in you can see that there's a great range, but there's not as much dark as we probably would like to see. This right here is two different types of fungi. There is one clear and one that is brown. Um, so we've got all in a moment, we've got fungi, we've got bacteria. And if I go down deeper into the slide, we can see those bacteria more defined. They're the teeny little things that are moving around. And they're, they're doing horizontal gene transfer when the two of them are touching like that and spinning around each other, a little dance. They're exchanging genetic material when they're doing that. There's spores this guy is right here and there's tiny there's tiny and large testate amoebae like look at this guy right here this guy right here is a small testate amoebae amoeba uh, and there's amoebae everywhere or amoebas it's your preference you can say it either way um you can see right here the hyphae of fungi coming directly out of the organic matter. I'm just switching lights to see if I can see some things. Right there on the left lower part of it, that's fungal. Watch. 
And if you guys like listening to Matt's soothing voice while he's getting the microscope sorted here, uh, he has a podcast as well with lots of really cool interviews with all kinds of different soil scientists as well. Over on his YouTube channel, which is a link to it in chat there. Yeah, so this is an aged sample, and it does not have the invisible fungi uh, present. And so the epifluorescence reveals things you can't see through bright field. And so the basidium mycota fungi, it's not going to manifest itself through phosphorus. It's, it's a completely different um, pathway of doing things. Oh, that testing me was crazy. Hold on, I want to get in close on this one. For those of you guys uh, listening to the audio version, we're currently looking at some microscope work that he's uh, showing us on a live microscope this is, sample. Yeah, so this is a compost sample that's actually in the book. And so it's an aged, it, because obviously the research was done months ago on that, and then we refined the book over time. But this sample still has, it still has fungi. It still has tons of testate amoebae, spores, um, I bet we might even run into a nematode here, but it's still active, still biologically characteristic of what it was, um, which is, I, I, this is why I look at aged compost. I look at them over time because different methodologies, this is Johnson's two compost. It's more stable than other forms of compost. Uh, thermophilic compost is very stable too. If it's aged, like the way Catalyst Bioamendments does it, uh, wormies compost uh, dries out very easily. Um, I think it might have to do with the way they do the Bokashi at the end. I, I don't know. But you can see a ton of spores here. So many spores. And that's potential fungi. Or food for the protozoa. You can also see that there's things like here in the center. That's like a chunk of glass right there in the center. That is actually a piece of sand. Sand looks like a broken glass. Like right there. You see that green chunk of, uh, that's the mineral. That's a piece of sand. Um, and the organic matter. It's so large that we have to actually zoom up to the top because it's pressed against the top of the slide. And you see how there's chunks of sand mixed in? There's a spore right there up top. Um, no, not fungal. Anyway, I'm always checking. But you can see a Go fragment there, there at the bottom of a testate amoeba for my shaking that um, broke it up. Everybody said they full screened the video so that they can uh, see it better. And, and uh, not a ton of people in chat. Everyone's enthralled with your videos. So it's great. 
Yeah, and so just some microscope tips here. Um, if you have a condenser below with the light, you can go and close it all the way and it makes things really, really, well, it darkens at first and then you do turn up the light, makes the edges of things really well-defined. So when you're counting, see how it flares? You can ID things and find things very easily, right? But not so nice on the eyes, actually. I really prefer to like open up the lens more, let more color in, turn the lights down a little bit, and and kind of let it, you know, be a little bit more beautiful. Yeah, super interesting. What is this? What is this? Is this moving? Yeah, looking at the mic microscope samples is a very addictive once you start doing it. Yeah, and in here we can see some lactobacillus. There's fragments of fungi everywhere. There's spores everywhere. Those smaller uh, spores, when they have like one side of them have like a kiss on them, um, th those are basidium mycota spores. Some color differential there. Beautiful. And I'll turn the light down all the way and then just go up enough to give it enough light. So right there, this is like stereotypical actinobacteria. Beautiful, beautiful. Right here, stereotypical cellulose, ziggy spiral. Um, and th that's the thing is, once we understand what we're looking at, it's very easy to navigate around and be like, oh, I've got that, I've got that. Look, testate amoeba in the middle. And there's another one on the left side in that little canyon there. And this is just organic matter, right? You can see the bacteria working on it right there. Go closer. This is 600X. You guys see the bacteria? And you see two of them like together and they're like flirting. They are exchanging DNA right there. There. That's horizontal gene transfer. We're doing it. We're watching it together. They're, they are doing it. It's a conjugation. So that was their little conjugal visit. Um, they've exchanged DNA. Oh, they're doing it again. They're doing it again. They're like little rabbits. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's the, the microscope is addictive it's really fun especially when you um have a really nice one like this one we're at 600 now just so your frame of reference it's spores sporulating we've got hyphae got actinobacteria we've got a great diversity of testing amoebae i mean look at this one right here And there's a good amount of bacteria 
And we have to remember the bacteria are the base for everything. Everything is based off of that. That that black circle, that football is is nigrosporum. So that's a, it's it's a black spore. Um, it's very common. You see that right here too. That right there is a spore as well. The double wall. So there's actinobacteria there in the center. And the reason those things are blurred is because they're they're higher up. So we go high, they're pressed up against the glass. All right. So yeah, uh, let's start drawing some conclusions. So we see we see great aggregation. We see large organic matter. It's beautiful. There's spores throughout it. There's bacteria. The bacteria is not like having like a like a, a feeding frenzy on the surface of it, which is a great sign. The feeding frenzy thing is usually anaerobic. Super high levels of, of bacteria and nothing else anaerobic usually. There's a lot of there's just so many. I mean, how many protos uh, um, testate amoebae have we seen? They're great protozoas, great cyclers. We're seeing uh, a lot of actinobacteria, but we're also seeing tons of fungal fragments of hyphae. So we know this is super fungal. Question is, is that going to move in the center there? I want to see if that moves. All right. Sorry. I, certain things that I really want to get good images of. So I get all distracted. But yeah, no, we, we've got we've got a great diversity of a lot of things. We've got a lot of spores. Um, it's shaped like Alternaria, but that doesn't have the stripes. We get a lot of spores. We have we have we have minerals. We have a lot of organic matter, a lot of food, and and there's a range. The aggregation is is. is I mean, look at this. Great. And it does look like that that the, there's like insect body parts. Um, yeah, so the, that implies that there's micro arthropods and arthropods at work. Look at that one. I love that. You can see the spores in the belly. That testate amoeba, amoeba has been hard at work. So you can see the spores inside the testate amoeba, and then you can look up top, and you can see uh, there's a spore right there. So those two spores up top, see that one on the top right has that little kiss on one side, that little tip? That's Basidia mycota. So, so we can see that, oh yes, the fungal spores and bacteria are being eaten by the testate amoebae. They are cycling those nutrients. Um, that's the first sign of Altonaria that I've seen. That's good. We don't want it to be ubiquitous. Um, 
It is also good. Alternaria, uh, along with Aspergillus fumigatus, is good at handling plastics. So microplastics, we might see particular things forever because of that. Uh, but uh, again, what's good for us um, is not always what's good for our plants and soil and remediation. So we have to like keep all those things in mind um, and and use them appropriately. And also don't go eat soil, okay, folks? Do not go eat your compost. Some thick, clear fungi right there. Beautiful. Some, oh, it has the split in the middle. Um, That's not alternaria, that one. That's different. We, we just saw alternaria when I said that. This is, th that was alternaria, but this one's different because it has that bunch split in the middle. I have that in the key next door. Can't remember its name right now though, but having reference keys for spores is really smart, really good. And, and also taking those with grains of salt. But yeah, this is really, really good compost that's aged. And so there's more actinobacteria than there was before. I'm not seeing nematodes in as the same numbers as before, but man, the spores are out in force. Testate amoebae are out in force. There, there's, there's a lot of great, great things going on in this compost. And I've been looking at it for a long time, and it's two cups, and it still retains all this biology. So, good compost, really. Check out that spore at the bottom there. Beautiful. So all these, all these really good compost microbes, they're going to stick. They're going to stay. You're going to be able to retain the personality of that compost for a long time. Jonathan Sue is very stable because of that. We're just mowing the lawn here, going around and checking out things. All right. Whew. Man, look at that's that. wonderful. Um, do you want to uh, uh, tell people um, how they can get a hold of this book? Um, I'm going to throw that book yeah. up on the screen here. Yeah, so I'll get all I'll, I'll get all mesmerized and. <laughs> all right, yeah, I got to change my, my camera back. No worries. There we go. So when you look at most people's soils and compost, it's just teeming with like bacteria, just teeming with it. And it's all crunched, not spread out like that. Those testate amoebae are not present. Nematodes are not present. The fungi like we were just seeing is not present. So, so it's dramatic when you can compare and so my book provides the images of comparison of what good soil is, bad soil is, comp good compost is, bad compost is, pathogens, good guys. And so people can actually develop their fluency, develop their eye and apply these things so that they can make better decisions. Because if you have a compost that, that, that and you're evaluating the compost that you're buying and scaling up and all this stuff, and it's not leading you in the direction you want to go. You're like, I'm trying to develop nematodes. I'm trying to develop protozoa. 
and you're not seeing that, then why would you add it? You, it's like adding pH 8 to pH 7.5 soils. It's like, why would we do that? We can just take the time to add, you know, EM or something like EM or biofertilizer DIY, soak it in, cover it for a week, and then we're, we're, we're totally different pH. So, so I really wanted folks to have that ability to have the understanding. Um, so when I'm going like this all the time on video, it's because I have all the compost samples in the lab. And so there's like little gnats that are just, again, and I don't, so the part of the reason why I preserve the samples for so long is I don't close their things completely. I let them breathe and I keep them at ground level and I keep them cool. But gnats, they're part of the soil food web, but but they're always everywhere. So I'm always like, ah! <laughs> One of the prices I pay to, to get the information out there. But if you go to the permaculturestudent.com, you can check out a lot of images from the book and charts so that you can see how big, how wide, how big are the spores, how big are the hyphae of a lot of these things. And when you see and understand the lay of the land, and then you can see and compare and reference, it changes everything. You can see the holes in your system instantly. You can see compaction instantly. You can also know using those other tests, you know, MPK and pH, understand when, why to, to use the inputs that you're going to be using. Or, or or what you know what preps you need to use when so it's it's cr a critical tool it's a tool that's in a larger holistic landscape of tests that allows us and then most of those things can be done at home you know uh, the fungal the, the microbiometer the ph the mpk all those can be done at home so i'm i'm really excited for people to start adopting these methodologies so that we can actually map things out and see, let, let the soil speak for itself so that we can, we, and, and the, the discoveries that we've already made are profound. The, the breakthroughs that we've already had are profound. We, we're going to be able to see things as they are and get clear feedback using the test methods that I'm introducing in this book. But what we'll see together is beyond our imagination. So I'm really excited about that. hit the wrong mute button um yeah no it, it's definitely uh a really fun uh a really fun book and i definitely look forward to uh seeing so many people benefit from it and all your hard work and uh um what's the best place that people are interested and want to get involved with your stuff more uh uh is it permaculturestudent.com to yeah to the permaculturestudent.com has the books on there uh, regenerative soil science.com is a lead link. You can just type that in. That has all my soils, like courses and books. All my books are for sale on the book section on the permaculturestudent.com though. So the books in line at the printers. So we'll have it pretty soon here. They've got to print it, then ship to me. Then I got to repack them all and ship them out to everyone, but it won't be long now. We're, we're really there. I'm really excited about it. And uh, Matt has all kinds of content. He hosts the Our Future Conference, which is really awesome. He's got all different types of amazing interactive classes. I've taken some of them. 
Uh, he's got all kinds of great stuff. So definitely check him out. He's a great resource if you're trying to learn um, uh, no matter what your, your background is. He also has lots of stuff for kids as well. I know we have a lot of people here that have homeschooling and, uh, and things like that. He has a whole wonderful uh, uh, K through 12 uh, uh, stu online student program as well. So definitely check that out if you're looking to educate kiddos uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, right now in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that's an entire high school science class using uh, my curriculum, that curriculum right there. Oh, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm about to meet the teacher, uh, Sandra, at uh, uh, Southwest Funga Fest. It's going to be amazing. Well, that's wonderful. And uh, you guys can also find him at the Permaculture Student on Instagram as well. Uh, he's got all kinds of cool pictures he posts there on a regular basis. Um, did I forget anything as far as uh, links and no, stuff? No, thank you. <laughs> um, definitely one of my favorite guests to have on. As you guys can tell, I said about three words the whole podcast. So uh, always good to have Matt on and have him share his knowledge. He's always so excited to share it. Uh, I am very grateful for you to, to take the time and to, to hop on with us this week. And uh, uh, yeah, much appreciated. Thank you all. <laughs> All right, you guys, uh, you guys can find us um, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all the things um, uh, for this podcast in audio format, which is what most of you guys listen to. Uh, and um, you can find me at potentponics.com, uh, opennutrientproject.com. We have classes at apmjclass.com and pestclass.com. And uh, we'll catch you guys again uh, next week. Take it easy, guys. Cheers. Have a great night. And we're offline. Sweet. <laughs>